Tonight, I want to talk about, I named this, uh, Why Did the Cheering Stop? And I want to read something that I thought was very interesting uh, about that. Um, Gene Smith, he was a uh, author, uh, and he entitled the book, When the Cheering Stopped. Okay, and this was about President Wilson and the events surrounding World War I. Now, none of us were here, but uh, if you know your history, uh, that was the war to end all wars. There was never going to be another war. And people were optimistic about that. They believed that there would be no more fighting. And uh, they dreamt uh, of a world peace that would last forever, and there would be freedom for everyone. When President Wilson paid a visit uh, his first visit to Europe, he was greeted by large crowds, and he was cheered every place he went. In many people's eyes, he was more popular than the greatest war hero of any time. And he was, he was a picture, what people pictured him as hope. When he brought, when he talked, it was pictured him as being hope. Uh, in awe, the cheering lasted about one year. Then it began to stop. Political leaders throughout Europe were more interested in their agenda than they were lasting peace. And people slowly lost hope. On the home front, Congress uh, would not okay anything that he brought up. Uh, his League of Nations was never ratified. And under tremendous stress, his health began to fail. In the next election, his party lost. And President Wilson, who almost two years ago was heralded as a hero, came to his last days as a broken and defeated man. You know, and I thought, wow. You know, history's filled with examples of people who are humble, were humble, rose to uh, great popularity, and came to the end of their life broken and defeated. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee on that. In tonight's text, we're going to take a look at such an example. We're going to take a look at the life of Jesus. The son of a carpenter, educated in Nazareth, one who gained favor with men, one who was cheered and praised, but would soon be mocked, scorned, cast aside by someone um, who they didn't cheer anymore, by the, or by the same ones who cheered him. He was mocked, cast aside by the same ones who earlier cheered him. And I want to talk tonight about why the cheering stopped. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we just pray. God, as we open up your word and what we feel that you've laid upon our heart tonight, Lord, may we take a look, just not at, at the scripture, but as a picture of maybe us. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. On that Palm Sunday, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, there were several things that he was aware of. He knew the conditions surrounding the people, and they were bad. But he also knew the conditions of their heart, and that was not good. See, the Jews found themselves under heavy Roman oppression. They were heavily taxed. They could not go any, they were, they could not go any place. They were restricted in their movement. There was a lot of executions by crucifixion. And Jesus knew all those things. He knew all those things, but he also knew where their heart was. The Jews were in search of someone. They desired a king. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted someone to come in and set them free. They've seen the mighty works of this man. They've heard about it. 
They, they, some of them seen uh, where he uh, restored sight to the blind, where he healed the crippled, where he fed a multitude of people with a little boy's lunch and had enough left over for snacks. They seen all these things. They heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And they listened to his sermons as he taught with authority. Surely, with the power and authority like that, Jesus was without a doubt that the one who would set him free. Now think about that. Think about as Jesus rode into town and everything, and they were looking for a king. What'd they call him? The king of the Jews, isn't it? Okay. They were looking for a king. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and the crowds began to cheer. And the crowds began to cheer. But Jesus knew their heart and he knew their desire. Jesus knew their heart and he knew their desire. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the crowds waved palm branches. And you know, that was a way back in those days uh, of, of honoring a hero was the wave proud branches and have him ride into town. And they were, they were giving him a hero's welcome. Um, besides that, here, and, they, and they, they shouted, let me say that. They shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They cheered him, they praised him, they exalted him. And then something happened. The cheering stopped. The cheering stopped. See, they had their idea what Jesus should do, what they wanted him to do. Jesus didn't gather any troops. He didn't lead a revolt. He didn't do what they expected. Instead, he drove out the money changers in the temple. He told them to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He even taught them that it'd be better to get a, give out of the little that you have than to give out of riches or out of your abundance. He taught them in order to be great, you must be a servant. Jesus did everything that the people didn't want. And so the cheering stopped. You know, as I read that and I thought it over and, and I looked at it and I thought, isn't it amazing that when things are going good, that when things are going good, when God does what we want, we cheer him, don't we? When Jesus raises to our cause, when Jesus um, gives us victory over something, he takes care of a problem, it's easy to cheer, isn't it? And see, that's what Jerusalem's seen. That's what the Israelites seen. Jesus was healing people. He was setting people free. He was casting out demons. He raised somebody from the dead. There was thousands of people gathered for Jesus. Why? Because they thought this is it. He's going to take over. He's going to set a revolt. He's going to put them to flight. But that didn't happen. What happens when, in your life, what happens in our life when he doesn't do exactly what we think he should? What happens when we face opposition, when we experience trouble? Too often, and I know sometime in my life, too often, our cheering stops. Words of adornment, words of praise kind of fade. 
spending time in the Word the way we used to, spending time in prayer the way we used to, kind of fade. Why? Because we almost feel that Jesus let us down. See, that's how they felt. That's how they felt. They felt Jesus let them down. Oh, we may go through the actions. We come to church. And if we have to, we'll even raise a hand. But maybe it's from here, not to here. Because we feel sometimes that Jesus... Have you ever felt that way? Let's be honest tonight. Sure. All of us have felt that way, that while I prayed about this, it didn't happen. Jesus let me down. That's where how the Israelites were feeling at that time. Sometime, God gives us what we want. He does. God answers our prayer and gives us what we want. But you better be sure God always gives us what we need. Let me say that again. God sometimes answers our prayers, even sometimes if they're selfish, and he gives us our wants. Sometimes he doesn't. I've been there many a time. But he's never failed Give me what I need. And he'll never fail you giving what you need. The Israelites didn't see that. They didn't want that. Their desire was blurred by their, by their needs. Their desire was blurred by their needs. Their desire to... Their desire to have the king, you know, was blurred. Their real need was something else. But their desire to conquer. The same thing happened. The same thing happens to us as happens to that crowd in the street. There was something that they didn't see, but Jesus did. See, if you read the first verse there that I got, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, even you, had you only known on this day what would bring you peace. See, they wanted peace, but they wanted to fight for the peace. Jesus wanted to give them peace in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of what's going on. And a lot of times, we don't want that. They didn't want that. They didn't want that kind of peace. And they missed it. You know, somebody said, well, I thought Jesus wept because he knew what was, what was ahead of him. No, he wept for the people. He wept for the people because they had a chance and they blew it. They had a chance. Jesus came to set them free from sin. They didn't want that. They didn't want that. So tonight, let's take a look at a couple points. Number one, they didn't recognize his purpose. They didn't recognize his purpose. Verse 32, if you only you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, they wanted that peace. But see, Jesus knew their hearts and he knew their desires. I mean, their desires was, you know, overthrow. Their desires was to defeat the enemy. And that's good. But Jesus already defeated the enemy. You know, in our lives, we want the enemies defeated. And I'm getting ahead of myself. That's one of my points down the road. But Jesus has already defeated our enemy. Sometimes we just have to suck it up, so to speak, and say, Lord, I'm ready to fight for it with you. 
Okay? Here we have a group of people desiring relief. That's what they desired. They wanted relief from what they were in. Desiring relief and desiring peace from oppression, from the circumstances, and failed to see their opportunity for true deliverance and true peace. For true deliverance and true peace. They could not see Jesus' purpose because their eyes were on their immediate circumstances. And they could not see what Jesus had for them. There's a lesson in there for us, people. There's a lesson in there for it. There's a lesson in me for it. Sometimes we get our eyes so much on our immediate circumstance. And Jesus said, get your eyes on me. Jesus said, I will give you peace. Follow me. See, in those circumstances, there are things sometimes that Jesus wants to teach us. That's why sometimes we have to go through things. How many have been through things? All of us have, haven't we? And haven't you asked, Lord, why? Lord, why me? Why not my brother? You know? Why not this guy? Why not that? Why me, Lord? You know, here they failed to see the peace. Their immediate circumstances, their immediate conditions, and the cheering stopped. Oh, they were aware of the claims of Jesus. We're aware of the claims of Jesus, right? We're aware that Jesus says, I'll go through that with you. I'll carry you through it. But somehow we lose that when things get tough, don't we? We forget some of those things. When things, hey, I'm preaching to myself as long as I'm preaching to you, okay? I'm just telling you. Why? Because we're human. But Jesus said, keep your eyes on me. You know, they witnessed miracles. We've witnessed miracles. I've seen miracles. You've seen miracles. How many of you saved tonight? That's a miracle. If nothing else ever happens in your life, that's enough. He has set you free from your sin. Just think where you would be tonight without him. I'd be dead. I'll be honest with you. I know, I know which way I was going. It's a miracle. So tell me you never seen miracles because somebody told me that long ago. But I've never seen miracles, Pastor. I said, are you saved? Yeah. Are you married? Yeah. Does your wife love you? Yeah. That's a miracle in itself. You know what I'm saying? How many are married? <laughs> we understand that, don't we? Huh? You know? But they couldn't see because of their hardship. They couldn't see because of their hardship. Sometimes we're the same way today. We go through experiences. We go through trials. Our focus is on everything around us. Everything that's gone wrong. Isn't it funny when you sit down and talk sometime? You always go everything you always go over everything that's gone wrong. You know, I was counseling somebody I gotta watch how I say this. I was counseling somebody not too long ago, and I listened for about a half hour. And I said, Okay, let me stop you for a minute. Tell me something good that's happened in your life. And that's what happened. It was dead silence. So, me knowing that person, I thought I'd help him with the good things. And I started naming them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And all of a sudden he says, I guess it's not that bad after all, is it? Huh? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's going on 
And we want to have that pity party sometime. Ever had a pity party? Sure we have. Oh, me. You know, that we don't see what Jesus is doing. You know, and when those things happen, I do a lot of counseling, so I know Things start to change. When we're all wrapped up in our circumstances, things start to change. Instead of praying, God, mold me, make me, use me, help me to grow, teach me something, we say, oh, Lord, deliver me. Lord, help me. Lord, fight for me. Lord, get that other person to understand. Because usually a lot of our problems are caused by what we consider friends or other people, aren't they? Sometimes it's job, sometimes it's something else, but a lot of times it's people. Get them to understand. Change them, Lord. I remember praying that. Oh my goodness, I remember praying that. See, we want God to change the circumstances. We want God to do something. And God wants sometime to change the person that's going through the circumstance is it changing the circumstance. I went through that. You know, I was young, but we, I went through that. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, God, change the circumstances. God, change this person. And God, change that person. And the more I prayed, the worse it got. I'm just being honest with you. You ever been there? It seems like the more I prayed, the worse it got. I had somebody tell me the other day, I'm going to stop praying because it's just getting too bad. So don't stop praying. Pray all the more. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I did. I stopped. I gave up. I thought, I can't make it. I can't live this life. And I gave up. And so one night, in a meeting, and I told you this, but one night in a meeting, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. And those people just happen to be in the same meeting. And I'm praying, God, change that heart. Change that heart of that person. Lord, change that heart of that person. And there was more than one. And God said, no, I want to change you. Rick, I want to change you. Don't worry about her or this person or that person. I want to change you. You talk about a struggle. I didn't want God to change me. You ever been there? I knew where I was and it wasn't good. But I knew what a change meant. And I didn't know if I wanted to go through that. To be honest with you. But God changed me when I said, yeah, Lord, whatever. Whatever. And God changed me. And you know what? That night, when I got up praying from praying, Everything that was wrong in my life was still wrong. Everything that was wrong in my marriage was still wrong. Everything that was wrong, but you know what? God changed me. And I remember telling God, through it all, my eyes are going to be on you. And God started to work. God started to change. Sometimes, people, we go through circumstances, and we go through, not all the time, because God wants to change us. See, God wanted to change the people in Jerusalem. And he wanted to do it through forgiveness of sin. And they didn't want that. 
They didn't want that. They wanted it through war. How many of us want it through war sometime? Defeat that person. Defeat that person. Lord, if that's the way they're going to be at that company, shut that stupid company down. I worked at Chrysler, I understand. You know, but no, no, God says, hey, let me change you. Let me, do, let me do a work in your life. And that's what he's saying here to them, but they don't understand it. See, God knew their heart and he knew their desire. And my problem in my life and our problem in a lot of our lives is God knows our heart and he knows our desire. And the reason we want it to change is for the other person, not us. If God would just change that person, life would be so much better. If God would just change my job, life would be so much better. Now, I work for pastor. Now, can you see me saying, if God would just change pastor, my job would be a lot easier. Never in my life will I pray that one. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we... we we're pretty selfish, aren't we? Sometimes we can be pretty selfish. We can be pretty selfish in our marriage. Do you know revival starts at home? you know that? You know, pastor's been praying about revival. He's been talking about it. Every revival I've ever seen, and I've only been in one major one in my life, it started with homes. It started with homes. There's a reason for that. Think about it. And let me say this, you're not going to have a changed marriage without a changed heart. So, think about that one too. That's not in my notes, I'm just going to throw that out. See, we want God to change us through circumstances, but God wants to change us. Our second point, they refuse to accept his terms. They refuse to accept his terms. Their, de their, their desire was for deliverance and oppression. But God came to deliver them from the bigger problem, and that problem was sin. They wanted to escape their immediate circumstances, like all of us do. And they wanted to have a brand, they wanted to have their own brand of peace. See, they, they thought they knew what peace was. Don't we sometimes think, boy, if this would just change, things would be so much more peaceful. And you know what? That changes, and there's still no peace. You hear me? Why? Because it's our brand of peace, not God's brand of peace. It's, you know, it comes from God. The people wanted peace, but they wanted it through conflict, and they wanted it their way. They refused Jesus' terms. They refuse Jesus' terms. And sometimes, so often, we as Christians, we refuse the terms of Jesus. Jesus said, let me handle it. Give it to me. If God ever said to you, turn this over to me and let me take care of it. Man, I read it in the Word all the time. Are you in the Word? You know, if you think you're going to grow and you think you're going to have peace with God, then you better start getting into the Word. One of the first things I did that night, in fact, the next morning, because it was 2 o'clock in the morning when God finally got through to me, one of the first things I did, though, I got in the Word. Now, I've been a Christian. I was backslidden, terribly backslidden. I've been a Christian. But, you know, I was one of those Christians that carried my Bible to church on Sunday. 
You know what I'm saying? And then when pastor was going to come over, I'd dust it off. You know? Get into the Word and, get, and start praying. I got some great counseling from, from, from an evangelist, and he told Norman and I that night, and it was hard, but he told Norman that, that night, he said, I want you two to start praying. Do you, do you pray together? No. Do you pray for each other? No. Have you ever? No. He said, I want you to start praying, and I want you to pray out loud. Rick, you pray for her. Norma, you pray for him. And you never ask for anything from God. You just pray. Don't ask for anything for 30 days. Don't ask God help this, God help that. Just praise him and pray for the other person. God wants our praise. God wants us to be in the word. You know, I told pastor the other day, I said, pastor, it amazes me. I can open up the Word on a Thursday and get something out of it, and I'm thinking, well, there's not much here. And I'll, he preaches it on Sunday, and it's the same thing, and he makes it so simple. I said, why didn't I see that? You know, get into the Word. You know, a great excuse. My, my great excuse was, I don't understand it. Ask God to help you understand. That was my, oh, I, I use that crutch. Finally, my wife said, shut up, you know. Not in those words, but you understand it. Ask God to help you. Norman and I were so simple. We'd call our pastor. He was a great guy, older guy, <laughs> about my age uh, now. Uh, but you got to realize we were in our early 20s, mid-20s. And we'd say, listen what we read. And he'd probably laugh, you know. And, I mean, it was something. To us, it was brand new. To us, it was a revelation. I'm supposed to love her as God loves me? That was a revelation. She's supposed to obey me? That was a great revelation. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. She's not here tonight, so I can, I can exaggerate. She's not feeling good tonight. Uh, but anyway, um, but you know, get into the Word. If you don't understand anything, call somebody. You know, I have people call me and say, Pastor, I don't understand what this says. And sometimes I'll say, boy, that is really a tough one. Let me ask the boss. So I go ask Norma. <laughs> Norman knows it all. No, I've asked Pastor Tim. But anyway, you want to say, where do I start? That's where to start. That's where to start. What a great starting point. When people come in and I counsel them, the first question I ask, how's your prayer life? And how's your reading life? How's your study life? Because that's where we're going to start. Don't tell me about your problems first. Tell me about your, tell me about your spiritual. Because if we're not there, then let's don't expect God to do this. How long would our marriages last if we never asked them anything about them? How long would our marriages last if, if we talked to our wife or our husband as much as we talked to God? Think about it. You see, I do a lot of marriage constantly. But anyway, um, I am so far off. None of that is in my notes. <sighs> Let me see if I can find them. You know, again, we want to do things our way. And how many times, we may not see this, but I find myself saying, you know, God, this is an easy one. I'll take care of this one. You know, 
Lord, I want to do it this way, and this is the way I want it. I'll handle it, Lord, and you bless it. And then when I don't get blessed, I think, Lord, you let me down. But sometimes we may not say that, but sometimes we act like that, don't we? Lord, I'll handle this. It's an easy one. And Lord, you just bless, you bless my efforts. That's, that's a cop out. That's a good way around it. Lord, your job, your job is to bless it. Okay, so how does this apply? How does this things apply to us? We see how they applied to the Israelites. You know, they didn't get what they wanted. They stopped cheering. In fact, what did they do? They turned their back on him. They said, crucify him. He's not going to give me what I want. Crucify him. He's not going to do what we want. Crucify him. They just seen all the miracles that he did. They just cheered him. The son of God. And not, not even the next day, they hollered, crucify him. Crucify him. If that doesn't make you sick, nothing should, nothing will. Now, I know we don't do that. But let me say this. How does this apply to us? I think, number three, trust in him and submit to him. Trust in Jesus and submit our lives to him. Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Jesus said, trust in me. Do we trust God? You know, some of the times why we don't ask God to help us is we don't trust him to handle it. Think about it. I can do it myself. We don't trust God to do it. God says, trust in me. If you don't trust me, if you don't trust me, and if you don't submit to, my, to, to me, then don't expect anything. Has God won your trust? He should have. He died on that cross for us. He died on that cross that we could be saved. Forgiveness of sin. Every morning, first thing out of my mouth, Every morning, right around 6 o'clock, if the dog isn't too bad, I say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free from myself and from sin. I never want to forget that. I never want to forget it, and you shouldn't either. That should be our starting point. John 8 so if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Sometimes we are so bound up in fear and everything else. And Jesus said, I've set you free. I've set you free. Live it. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. It must be awful to live in fear. It must be awful. You know, it's been... 40, almost 49 years. 49 years next month. 
that I lived in fear. I lived in fear. I was afraid to put my head on the pillow at night. I was afraid to come home. I was afraid to go to work. I lived in fear. Because I knew I was backslidden. I knew things were bad. I wanted God to change everything but me. Don't live in fear. Fear is awful. Fear is from the pit of hell. It's from the pit of hell. And if, he can get, if Satan can get us afraid, then he's won a battle. Don't be afraid. The word says, trust in me. Trust, trust, trust. Trust. Trust in God for everything. Not just the big things. Not just next month's house payment. Trust him about a bread a loaf of bread. You know what I'm saying? The little things as well as the big things. Trust God. If you're running into problems at work, trust God to work it out. If you're having trouble with children, and how many of us haven't? Trust God to work it out. Hand it over to God. I'll never forget. Man, I was struggling with this because I was daddy. And I had a daughter, and, I, and we, were, we were getting a divorce. I was going to lose my daughter. And God said, give me Karen. Karen was only four years old. Give me Karen. I said, no, God, you can't have Karen. That's all I got. You can't have Karen. And God said, do you think I'm big enough to handle him? This is what was going in my mind that night that I was getting right with God. Trust God with those big things. Are you having problems? With a child, trust God to work it out. I remember telling God, God, I have made such a mess of my life, I don't even know where to start. You ever been there? I have made such a mess, I don't even know where to start. You show me how to start. And he did. I had to go to people and ask forgiveness. I had to go to my pastor and ask forgiveness. You think that was easy? And then I talked about him quite a lot. So I had to go to people and say, I'm sorry for what I said about Pastor Smith. That was his name. Great guy. Him and I got to be buddies like that. But, you know, it's trusting God. Lord, I'm handling this over to you, and I'm trusting that you will take care of it. And even if it gets worse... God, even if it's a divorce, God, I'm going with you because I'm trusting you. Even if it's, you know, my kid don't want to talk to me for the next six years. Sometimes that don't sound bad. But, but you know what I'm saying? I'm trusting you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to take my hands off. That don't mean I stop praying. Oh, heavens no. But I take my hands off of it and let God work. Sometimes God can't work in their lives because we got our hands all over it. God had to tell me, get your hands off and let me work. And he says that to all of us. You know, that's what he's saying to, to, to the Israelites here. He's saying, let's do it my way. No, they want to do it their way. And God's way, all of us know that. God's way is the best. So how does this I'm, again, none of this is in my notes. I'm sorry. 
But Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their desires. Let me ask you a question tonight. Where do you fit in the crowd? In that crowd? Where do we fit? Where do I fit? Do sometimes our cheering stop because we feel God has let us down? See, that's what happened here. They felt God let them down. They felt Jesus let them down. When we experience trouble, and I've said it, Lord, and I've said it not long ago, Lord, I have prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I've prayed about this, Jesus, and it just seems to be getting worse. In fact, I even told Norma, maybe I need to stop praying about this. Norma, you just take over. That was wrong, and Jesus corrected me real fast. But sometime we get there. It's a, it's a thing of trust. It's a thing of trust. It's a thing of submission. See, Jesus knows our hearts. We can say one thing, but what's the heart say? Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our desires. Don't lose sight of the fact that through all circumstances, you are in the very presence of God. See, the Israelites wanted peace. They wanted peace. And here they had the Prince of Peace in their very presence and didn't see it. Think about that. They wanted peace, and here's the man that could give them all the kind of peace they wanted. They had the Prince of Peace walking with them, and they didn't see him. Sometimes our eyes are so much on our circumstances, so much on our problems, that we don't see the Prince of Peace that wants to work in our life. So people, even tonight, maybe even more tonight, the Prince of Peace is here. He's willing to give you a peace. You know, and I've heard that saying so much, I used to think, what in the world does it mean? He's willing to give you a peace that passes all understanding. I grew up in church, you know. I heard messages from the time I was two years old. But it took somebody to tell me, God wants you. He don't want your problems. He wants all of you. See, God wants all of us. He don't want just a little bit of us. He don't want 75% of us. You heard Pastor say, and he preached this a couple of times, if I told Becky, I'm going to love you with 70% of me, how about the other 30%? Well, I'll, no. You, marriage wouldn't last long, would it? Hmm? Plus that, he said Becky'd kill him. But you know, sometimes that's the way we are with Jesus. Jesus wants all of us. See, he wanted, he didn't, he wanted all the Israelites. He wanted their life. He wanted them to give up their sin and to follow him as their, as their savior. They didn't want that. They wanted a conquering hero. Jesus said, I'll set you free. The prince of peace will set you free. See, God will see you through it. If you're going through something tonight, and you've heard pastors say this, God will see you. He'll pull you through it if you can take the pulling. That's what pastor says. I change it. God, you know, God will, God will see you through it, and he will. There might be just a little light at the end of the tunnel. There might not even be a light. 
But God will see you through it. And when you get through it, you can open up your eyes. He said, oh man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've made it. We've made it. We've made it through it. Look at John 16. I have told you these things to show so that you may, so that you in me, so that in me you may have peace. In Jesus will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. He's telling us. You're going to have trouble. So get that. You say, why do I have trouble? God just told us. We're going to have trouble. You know, do you know you grow, you grow faster in trouble than you do any other time? You go fa- faster in tough circumstances than you do any other time? I remember telling God, okay, God, I think I've grown enough. You know, I don't need any more tough ones right now. You know what I'm saying? And I know you do. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What's he saying here? You're going to, you live in this world. You're going to have trouble. But I've overcome the trouble. That's what he's saying. I've overcome that trouble. I've overcome that world. That person that's driving you crazy, he's been defeated. Satan that's right in your back, he's been defeated. Maybe he's getting a foothold in some place. Satan I'm talking about. He's been defeated. You may have to go through a few rough days. There might be a rough patch. He didn't promise a rose garden. There are some rough patches. Huh? Aren't there? There are some rough patches. I'm looking over this congregation. I've been through some of those rough patches with you. But God said, we're going to make it through it if your eyes are on me. Our problem is our eyes are on him and then they're here, and then they're here, and then they're here, and all of a sudden, we start to sink. What, what, what happened to Peter when he was walking on the water? As long as his eyes was on Jesus, right? Until he saw, oh, there's a big wave. Oh, this is over my head. I can almost hear him, can't you? Hey, those guys are laughing at me on the boat. Maybe, maybe I'm being stupid. And he took his eyes off Jesus. Let the people laugh. You know, when I was at the plant, and I, I've told you this a few times, when I, was, I was a boss there at Chrysler. I had a lot of people make fun of me. A lot of my guys make fun of me. Hey, Pat, you know, they, they, they'd rub it into me, especially when some of these major guys would fall from grace. Hey, I heard this guy fell from grace. Hey, I heard that guy fell from grace. I would say, oh, thank you, Lord, for helping me, you know. But you know what? When trouble hit, they came to me. When trouble hit, they came to me and asked for prayer. One of the guys that the last person I'd ever think would ask for prayer, he came to me and asked for prayer. He came to my office. He was my boss. He came to my office. Shut the door. I thought, oh, I'm in for it. Usually when the boss comes and shuts the door, he just turned around and tears running down his eyes. And I told you this. I said, Jim, what's wrong? He said, my wife's got cancer. I need your prayer. First time ever that he's even mentioned the word of prayer. God healed her. She was cancer-free about six months later. He came in and thanked me. 
And just three years ago, now this happened 30 some years ago, just three years ago, I met her. I met her at a funeral. <laughs> I met her. And uh, Jim walked up and said, Here, I want you to meet. I want you to meet my wife. And she gave me a hug and said, Thank you. 30 years later, God answers prayer. So if you're going through some rough times at work, don't worry about it. Those people that are making fun of you, they wish they were like you. They were wish they were like you. I got all kinds of stories I could share with you, but I'm not going to. If things are going rough at home, there's only one person that can straighten it out, and that's Jesus. If you're having trouble with family, turn it over to Jesus. I've been there. Cammie, you know that. You lived with us through some of that. <laughs> I had a girl that, my middle daughter, this isn't being taped, is it? I don't want to hear this. My middle daughter did <coughs> everything possible to cause us a problem. Everything. And uh, she just told Norma just in September, they went away for her birthday. She said, Mom, I really wasn't that bad, was I? Was I really that bad? We said, yeah, you were worse. <laughs> but you know what? She's saved. She's in the church. She's married. Why? Because we couldn't do it. God had to do it. So if you're running up against something that seems impossible, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I told you this before, my grandma, what a great saint. What a great saint. She didn't get saved till she was 48. Most of her kids were grown. She lived to be 97. But she had one daughter that she prayed and prayed and prayed that Irene would get saved. Irene had polio when she was young and bitter, 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 bitter against the world. Grandma died. A year later, a year later, Irene couldn't sleep one night and got up and turned the TV on. And there was a TV evangelist that led her to the Lord. Now Irene is 96 and on fire just like Grandma was. Isn't that something? Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer, and don't ever underestimate what God can do in your life. There's victory in Jesus. We need to sing that one more often. There's victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Let's stand. Lord, tonight we thank you. We thank you to Heavenly Father that we can cheer you. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, that we can praise your name. Because, Jesus, you live. And because you live, how's that song go? Because you live, I can live tomorrow. Because you live, Satan is defeated. Because of that cross, Lord, my sins are forgiven. Because of you, dear Heavenly Father, we can pray for our brothers and our sisters to be healed and know that God is the healer. We can witness that Jesus never fails because God, you don't. Heaven and earth may, but Jesus never fails. So Lord, tonight, we as a body of believers we as a body, dear Heavenly Father, of your saints, and that's what Jesus called us. You may not feel like a saint tonight, but Jesus said if you're saved, 
you're on your way to heaven, you're a saint. So say to God right now, I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Thank you for it. God, may we live as saints. May people, the Heavenly Father, see and hear in our lives that Jesus is real. Jesus is victorious. And there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus. Again, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you tonight, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you teach us, that you teach us through your word, through the red word, through the preached word. Lord, you teach us through circumstances as we keep our eyes on you. You teach us, Heavenly Father, through tough times that our eyes on you. You teach us, dear Heavenly Father, as we kneel alongside of our bed and we pray together. Lord, you teach us how to love one another. You teach us, dear Heavenly Father, how to say, I'm sorry. You teach us, dear Heavenly Father, how to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. So, Lord, tonight, we give you all these things. Lord, we give you our problems. Tonight, congregation, people, give God your problems tonight. Because I'll be honest with you, they're too big for you. But nothing, nothing is too big for Jesus. So tonight as we pray, give God those problems. And say, Lord, I'm taking my hands off. Our problems are we take our hands off, but we still grab them and pull them back. Lord, we're taking our hands off tonight. And we're asking Jesus that you lead and that you guide and God that you give victory. And we ask this in your precious and holy name. And everyone says, amen, amen. Now, if you need prayer tonight, I'm going to be up here. If we have too many, I'll get Mark off the piano and he'll be up here. If you need prayer tonight, come on up and we'll pray for you. Okay, God bless you. Have a great day. And we'll see you Sunday. We'll see you Sunday.